No, seriously. Like I was reading, there's this article. Uh, new research shows that the brain's pain matrix actually gets activated by pain-related words. No, yeah, right. When people hear or read words like plaguing, tormenting, grueling, the section of the brain that retains memories of painful experiences is triggered. It's crazy, right? I told you, words matter. Cross the Streams Podcast, we're back. Uh, like you, We talked about last week, so we're doing a three-part series called Words Matter. Um, and we framed it last week in, in the discussion in terms of, hey, here's some things that we've deep dive as coaches at Willamette University, in my, wearing one of the hats I wear, that we think can help you as if you're a coach, if you're a parent, if you're an employer, in using your words more effectively, more strategically to create change in behavior. So that was part one. Go back. You can find us on you know, Apple Podcasts. You can find us on SoundCloud. Go back. Listen to that. That was more of a positive framing right today we're shifting it up we're keeping them words matter theme but we're going to come at it from another angle uh let me start here have you met or described someone as a wordsmith before a skilled user of words someone who can figuratively craft a spell with vocabulary um you know when we use this term in my opinion when we are cognitively aware of someone choosing and sequencing words in a matter that moves us. So in part one, we talked about how words matter in a good way. So wordsmithing can help athletes, players, employees to change to the behavior we decide, we desire as their coach, as their parent, as their employer. Today, we want to take a look at how wordsmithing can be dangerous. Uh, I want to take a look at how ways people can purposely or unintentionally use words in a way that negatively impacts us. It could anger us, shock us, or maybe even blind us to truth intentionally to keep us at a still point of inaction. So, you know, two tools of wordsmiths that we're going to deep dive today. Remember, wordsmithing can be in discussion or wordsmithing can be in writing and print to people read your words. I want to talk about sanitization and passive voice. Okay, so words matter, part two, sanitization and passive voice. Coming up on Cross the Streams. What do I mean? Let's start with sanitization in the era, you know, the general meaning of sanitization. In this era of a pandemic that we've all been living through, it's obviously not a complicated idea. Cleaning anything to prevent infection, right? That's how I think most of us would land on what the hell is sanitization. Sanitization of word choice in its most direct application, and one maybe most of you are probably familiar with, comes when, say, a government document goes through the process of removing sensitive information from them. So that document may be distributed to a broader audience. This could be an internal employee uh, at a business. This could be education at a school. Anytime you know you see black lines or redaction and they happen and suddenly something can go out to the common folk, I'm using air quotes in a podcast, because the powers that be in the institution that created the document uh, don't think it's as likely to convey secrets anymore. That they don't want, they don't want, it's not as likely to convey truce or something else they were worried about. This direct definition of the sanitization of words revolves around the intent of secrecy protection. 
right? Such as in dealing, you, most of the time you'll see it with classified information. You're trying to reduce the document's classification level, maybe creating something more safe for distribution. You know, I think this happens in mouth-to-mouth -mouth discourse as well, where we're actually talking to each other. We don't necessarily have black tape to put over each other's words as they float out towards our ears, uh, but we all have chosen uh, terms, sentences that we deem as less likely to offend or less likely to get a big reaction out of our audience. You know, for an example, when you discuss the death of someone, what do you say versus what did the doctor say versus how is it written in the final re medical report? You were considering the feelings of the family members when you talked. You were trying not to insinuate something about the medical care they received when you were writing an obituary or talking to someone else uh, on an email about it. There's other reasons that play into how you chose to deliver the words conveying the death of someone. When you talk to a player, coaches out there, about playing time, what did you want to say in that discussion? What did you think you should say? And where did you actually land? You know, I'm sure like many of you, you've been down the rabbit hole of you wanted to be sure you were clear, but you also didn't want to lose the player for the whole season based on this discussion. Uh, but at the same time, you're balancing your whole program foundation that you want to exist and love people to the truth. So what sentences did you actually deploy? How did you sanitize to get the message across that you're not going to play as much, but we still need you. You probably use some version of sanitizing your words. So the, the intent of sanitization um, and the impact of sanitization are something we should consider here. You could argue that the intent of all these examples we used in sanitizing words or writing um, is fine. But remember, this podcast, because of its host, moi, believes in the idea that intent never is an excuse from the harm your impact has and intent cannot be a shield from accountability so from that lens sanitization from um can have a negative impact on your audience um next the next category passive voice I don't think there's as much gray area. I think you could get into a debate with someone and be intellectually honest and not get crazy with each other about, hey, the sanitization of documents or sanitization of conversation delivery, is that truly some version of evil or malicious in, malicious in, in its context? I don't, yeah, you could have that debate. Passive voice, I don't know. I think there's very little gray area. It's often used specifically to shield responsibility from aggressors and oppressors and is purposely deployed to redirect the spotlight from perpetrators to aggressors. It, it, okay, so this it would probably help. You know, I'm making that big comment about passive voice. So let me give you some background here. The literal definition, and I and I took this, I lifted this directly from uh, the University of Louisville's Writing Center, defines it as when the actor comes after the action, or when the actor is completely absent from the sentence, you have passive voice. Let me, let me give you a non-controversial one, I guess. Active voice is, the doctor took out my appendix. Passive voice is, my appendix was taken out. So if, if you see there, the doctor is the actor. Okay, The appendix was taken out. You are the recipient of this action. My appendix was taken out is the passive voice version of that. Okay, where the doctor is removed from the equation, period. So if you wrote my appendix was taken out or if you stated with your words my appendix was taken out, you're removing the person that actually did it. Many writers are told to avoid using passive voice. Um, it could be because passive voice is sometimes seen as weak or unconfident, but probably more importantly, and hopefully if you know editing rooms have actual moral, um, actual moral compass, it might be because passive voice is sometimes used to hide an action's cause or the actor from the reader. 
Give, let me give you some more examples. And some of these you can find from the ProWritingAid.com, an article by Kathy Edens, E-D-E-N-S, a Why Passive Voice is Dangerous. Um, here's one. A young woman uh, at a club was abducted shortly after midnight. Okay, The passive voice there is dangerous. It's harmful to the victim because in that sentence, you don't hear a group of men abducted the young woman. All you hear is the young woman as somehow the actor when she was the one that was abducted. Um, it's harmful to victims. It's, it, it's, it's, you know, victims get blamed for the crimes committed against them. And it often happens disproportionately to women and minorities when crimes are committed against them. When you know what you're looking for, you're going to be amazed how often you see passive voice show up in our discourse, whether in conversations with each other or in writing, and especially in digesting the news. Let me give you some more. An officer involved shooting versus the police shot someone. The active voice versus the passive. The passive voice was first. Officer involved shooting versus the active voice. The police shot someone. Wages are stagnant is passive. The employer froze wages is active. And they're both, they say the same thing. Rents have gone up is passive versus landlords raise went rents, which is the active. The landlords actually did that. Um, passive voice feels evasive because it is. One serious objection many people have to passive voice, it allows people to avoid taking a responsibility. Let me give you some examples. Mistakes were made in dealing with the crisis. Well, if we're talking about the agency in charge of the crisis, they're avoiding being named. They're avoiding accountability. Here's another example of passive voice. It was determined that the proper procedure had been followed. Who, who determined this? Who was supposed to be following it? Who was avoiding accountability here? What about this one? Another passive voice attempt at hiding the actor and preventing us from knowing who took the action that's harmful. No inconvenience to the occupants is anticipated. Okay, All these things, all these examples of passive voice, you will see how it can be used intentionally, I believe, oftentimes, intentionally, to mask actors from accountability, to mask actors from public conscious in general, and avoid having to own up to they're the ones committing these harms. So today's Words Matter Part 2. Ways we can intentionally, you could argue maybe occasionally unintentionally, but ways we can use words with our voices and with our writing skills. I know it's probably more typing nowadays. In terms of sanitization of words and the passive voice selection in conveying the, the story of an action can be harmful. And that's why words matter. Content reminder. The opinions expressed on today's episode are those of the hosts and guests alone and should not be viewed as reflective of the opinions of the institutions or employers of the hosts and guests.